electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. Mike Santoli is with us in a moment. Cramer has the morning off. Pre-market is adding to Thursday's losses. Biggest pullback in four weeks as these higher yields pressure stocks. Ten-year pops to 392, highest since November. Don't forget options expiration today. Our robot's going to begin with rate fears and the Fed. Goldman and B of A now see three more hikes before the end of the year. And on the earnings front, Deer doubling quarterly profits. It also raises guidance, citing stronger demand and what it calls favorable market fundamentals. And you also have shares of DoorDash getting a boost. That from stronger sales and there's upbeat outlook as well. Quarterly deliveries topped analyst forecasts. Let's start with the markets. Dow is on pace for its third negative week in a row. The tenure, as we said, hit the highest level since November earlier today. Uh, dollar uh, this morning, six-week high. Uh, David, some of these notes from Goldman, NB of A, almost rhyme. Uh, adding another 25 to June would take you from about five and a quarter to five and a half. Um, I think B of A still looking for a cut next March, but uh, obviously trying to read what the market's already telling us. Yeah, and there you can see Jan Hatzius uh, talking about in light of the stronger growth and uh, you know adding 25 basis points in terms of their expectations as well. It's been the story of the week, of course, hotter than expected inflation reports, suddenly a market waking up to the fact that the Fed may not stop, may go a bit higher than had been anticipated. You've heard it all week, whether it was Alan Blinder going up to size 5.5% or uh, John Gray, uh, Blackstone yesterday, sort of intimating the same idea and staying at a higher level for longer, Carl. It's you can take a look at the 10 year uh, and where that is. That's what we started the show with. That said, um, you know, risk premiums are tight right now. Financial conditions, some say, still continue to loosen to a certain extent. Hence, the Fed may be tougher than than uh, we thought even a week or two ago. Spreads remaining pretty tight, too, in fixed income. Yep, uh, that's been one of the the bull arguments uh, about this entire rally. Interesting. Um, you had Apollo this morning. Just basically remind you that uh, higher rates for longer uh, puts pressure on corporate earnings, corporate spending, corporate capex. Uh, they argue the Fed is not done, which means that the trading environment from 2022 will be coming back. And 6040 uh, may be poised to underperform once again after what's been obviously a difficult year. Um, we'll see. I mean, uh, others will point out that the last time we had yields here at these levels, uh, David, stocks were in much worse shape. So is the market willing to look past any kind of near-term pain. B of A today, uh, historically bearish, but Hartnett says if we don't break 4,200, look for 3,800 by March 8th. It's really specific. That's very specific. March 8th is pretty close. That'll be quite a bit of a downturn, at least over a relatively short period of time. You know, Carl, it's, again, it's it's been confounding to some extent for those. More of the people that I speak to tend towards being less constructive on the equity market, but that hasn't stopped. And perhaps it's been one of the reasons why we've 
uh, hit some nice levels until, let's call it this week. I mean, we're, if we end down today, we're going to be down for the week. I don't know what the numbers are exactly. Usually you've got a good uh, take on what, where we may end or where we are right now. Yeah, uh, I think the S&P has already taken out the weekly gains. Uh, and, of course, the 2% loss for the NASDAQ got a lot of people's attention. Oil is interesting, too, um, as it starts to discount maybe weaker demand. Um, you got WTI set for a 2.5% loss for the week. Um, that's four days down. Haven't had a streak that long this year so far. And then Chevron yesterday, David, uh, adding 100,000 barrels a day of Venezuelan oil to the U.S. this month. That's a little extra supply as well. Yeah, a little bit of production there that they've been working on for some time. I know. What, what, uh, Carl, what was it when we were talking about the Chinese economy coming back online in a more significant way and therefore being such a large consumer, of course, of, uh, of oil? that it would be going higher. I mean, we were pushing 80 or above, and here we are now uh, at this level. It's, uh, there's you know, a lot of volatility, as we, uh, as we point out all the time. Yeah, uh, Jeff Curry uh, at Goldman, who's been looking for higher energy prices for a long time. I think the title of his note this morning is Between the Fed and a Hard Place. Basically arguing exactly what you said, David, is that the fundamentals will be there in time, uh, in Goldman's view, uh, but, uh, but the Fed obviously pressuring what had been a historically uh, bullish call. What's interesting, I think, also, David, is um, even though the macro uh, is, is tilting bearish for the week, some of the individual corporate results are being very well received mm -hmm. uh, this morning. AMAT, Deer, Hubs, DraftKing have all uh, raised their guidance. Um, and you put Deer and AMAT and Cisco together this week, it's not a bad string of largely industrial names with a good outlook for the year. No, it isn't. Uh, and on Deer, right, I know that was once your area of coverage many years ago, back in your journal days. Uh, again, 34% net sales gain. Uh, and you can see the stock is uh, performing quite well, Carl. I haven't looked deeper into the report, but certainly, you know, how, do, how is it typically taken a name like this when it does outperform in terms of any uh, impact beyond, beyond the st its stock? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, well, it's a comment on commodity price, right. uh, which would, uh, be, would be net, I guess, inflationary, but also just a, a signal of, I mean, I remember doing stories about deer in the 90s where they were adding all kinds of bells and whistles to tractors because farmers had the income. Uh, and it does point to some amount of money still sloshing around, at least the agricultural complex, David, uh, which is, which is going to move the needle, at least, you know, in terms of machinery. We'll see. We've had some negative calls on CAT in the recent days, although CAT's exposure to agriculture is not near uh, what Deers is. You can take a look there. Of course, uh, CEO John May, in terms of discussing what was, again, a very solid quarter for the company. Uh, their outlook as well, a uh, range of $8.75 billion to $9.25 billion. That's for uh, fiscal year 2023 in terms of uh, net income. Uh, and again, another strong year on the basis of positive fundamentals, he says, low machine inventories and a continuation of what they call solid execution. Carl, you also mentioned shares of AMAT are going to be up not very much, uh, but ticking a bit higher. And to your point, it has been a relatively, I mean, we had Cisco yesterday, seemed to be something of an outlier. We had Chuck Robbins join us, of course, positive on all counts, um, and certainly more so in terms of the guidance than had been anticipated by many of the analysts who follow that company. Uh, yeah, talking to Chuck Robbins about uh, again, this viewpoint uh, among CEOs that even though uh, you might face some near-term challenges, what is normal anymore? And what does it take to really shake you off of your spending plan? Uh, in his view, it takes a lot because this new generation of CEOs has sort of seen a lot. 
Yeah, that was it. those were interesting comments, as were his comments about what at least they see as the opportunity for AI in terms of at least being a demand for, for their products. Obviously, we've talked a lot about the demand for chips, but it being as perhaps as much as 3x in terms of what you've got right now. Uh, that got my attention. Uh, I didn't ask Bing about it. No, we didn't get into a conversation about whether there was any love Did you at see all. these reviews? I did. I uh, did. In the Times, Kevin Roos's review, where Roos. he takes it for a test drive, and the Washington Post, where it basically says, I think you are a threat to my security and privacy. And of course, tells Kevin that he thinks uh, that it believes Kevin should leave his wife and be with, be with it. <laughs> I, 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 I was speechless. Yes. I mean, as I think Mr. Roos was as well. We're referring to yesterday's story in the New York Times, of course, that review, so to speak, of Bing, which he sort of liked at first and then uh, really got freaked out by. And he's not alone. Uh, it does raise this question. Of course, we've been talking so often about this, that move in Microsoft that you see in part because of the, uh, the enthusiasm that surrounds what will be and is this new offering that, that is going to accompany their Bing search engine in terms of being able to have a conversation, so to speak, with the chat bot. Uh, we've talked about Alphabet's entry as well, whether they're behind somehow. But Carl, the larger existential questions in terms of what this means, I mean, these are the earliest days. Are we gonna look back in a few years and I, I don't know and say, well, those were good days when we actually, before the machines took over. I mean, I know, I know that's been bubbling underneath the surface with all the investment for years, but yes. I mean, we've only really been talking about it for a month, let's say, in this form. Yeah. Uh, and if we're already here where we're having interactions like this, I mean, it, it does raise a lot of questions. Uh, yeah. And Microsoft, to its part, uh, is, is saying, you know, this is obviously a test run. They're only making it available to certain people uh, and they're using it as an opportunity to tweak it. But they got chat GPT, you know, version four coming soon, which is supposed to be a significant leap above where we are right now. It just it, it is it's going to raise so many questions. Um, I keep thinking back to that Google engineer who said that AI had reached consciousness and they <laughs> fired him. But <laughs> I don't know, yeah. man. Uh, I think, by the way, Roos did tweet this morning uh, that you can no longer have hours-long conversations. They've truncated your ability to speak with uh, that version of Bing, at least in terms of duration. Uh, so, I, as I joked on Twitter, maybe somebody got a talking to uh, after that right. tryout. Apparently, the longer you go, the weirder it gets. Yes, yes. Kind of like life. Uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, still a lot to get to this morning. We got this new report showing that U.S. credit card debt did hit record high levels amid this rising inflation. We'll talk about that. Uh, as we said, a bunch of smaller names, but important reactions to get to from the likes of DraftKings, Hubs, uh, DoorDash, uh, and uh, other news regarding things like Etsy and Meta today as well. Take a look at futures here. Uh, continuing the weakness that we got on Thursday as the S&P is looking for a weekly decline. Worst walk on the street straight ahead. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. 
specialised across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. U.S. consumers are turning to their credit cards more as inflation leaves them feeling financially stressed. According to the New York Fed, credit card balances jumped $61 billion last quarter, a record $986 billion at the end of the year. SVB Moffat and Nathanson analyst Lisa Ellis is here at Post 9 to talk about how it's impacting some of the credit names we follow. These numbers are always hard to put into context when they come out because they're so large. <laughs> how, what do you say about this one? Yeah, look, so... For the first time in three years now, uh, credit card balances are back above where they were pre-pandemic. But the important number is that as a measure of like financial stress, meaning the amount of any individual's income that they're spending to service their debt, we're still well below pre-pandemic levels because incomes have gone up as well. Right. So uh, is, that, is a return to trend on that ratio dangerous at this point? Yeah, it's coming. I mean, we're, we're still below. It's about 14.5% currently. That's the amount of an, any individual's income going to service debt. Um, the pre-pandemic average is, you know, about 15, and we're trending back toward it. And given the rise in rates and obviously inflation, we're monitoring that really closely. You cover American Express, and there's been some talk that that's the way to maybe uh, have it both ways, where you have the higher incomes, more spending volumes, lots of travel come back, uh, and yet maybe less risk of credit loss down the road. Does it make sense uh, at this point? Absolutely. Um, Amex is one of our favorite names. It's actually been one of the best performing stocks in our coverage in the last two years. They took advantage of the pandemic to really embrace that affluent consumer base. So their charge-off levels are still hovering only around 1%. um, And they've already guided that in 2023, they expect them to stay well below where they were pre-pandemic. And you're seeing still all the recovery and travel. Their volumes were up 15% this last quarter. Visa and MasterCard's only up about 8 or 9%. And then what do you look at if you're looking at the Visas and MasterCards in terms of overall transaction activity. So is it, you know, migration from more debit volume to credit or as a macro signal at this point, what's relevant? Yeah. So with them, it's the overall number that really matters because they are such a diverse view into the health of consumer spending. Um, They you know, almost 50%. And in the U.S., it's almost 70% of consumer spending is done on a card. So by watching their volumes, which are both debit and credit, you can see that overall health in real time. And so far, it's extraordinarily healthy. The consumer, while they still have jobs, you know, they're still spending. And then, Lisa, I'd just love to come back to some uh, news earlier in the week, because it is a name you cover, not related to this, FIS. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, guidance was just horrific, stock down, but they also announced the possibility of a very large transaction, so to speak, in the spin of uh, what is WorldPay. You know, any new take for us? Stocks come back a tiny bit since, I guess, that uh, significant down day early in the week. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, this is one that's been in a very rough road over the last six months. Our, guy, our outlook for 2023 for FIS is down 35% from where it was only six months ago. They are really suffering at the names, uh, at the hands of like a square, a clover, a toast, those players. They don't have a product like that. And it's crept up on that business over the last couple of years. And the problem is, as they're losing share in that market, it's very high margin volume. So you've seen this sort of cascade effect that they're 
their revenues are decelerating and then their profits are falling off more dramatically. So they have a new CEO, a new CFO, several new members of the board. Jana, the activist, is um, uh, somewhat involved, not heavily, and they've decided to spin off their troubled unit. It's the big um, payments unit. So it's going to take a while, potentially. Yeah, this one's going to take a while. I'm not sure names like uh, Discover or Capital One or Affirm are in your universe, but it, are, I mean, the rollover in some of those names, is yeah. it pointing to worries about the lower income yeah. strata? Yeah. 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 So definitely the we're there's nervousness about a bifurcation for sure, um, because the number of consumers that have taken on credit card debt is up significantly. You know, it's nearing 50 percent of consumers, which means it's heavily in that middle income band. So there is this bifurcation. Um, uh, and then players like in a firm, for example, which are where you've seen uh, really struggle in these last couple of weeks, um, they also have the problem that they're not a bank. And so they actually have to source their funding uh, from banks. And as a result, in a rising rate environment, they're basically just getting squeezed on both sides. They're higher, um, you know, higher cost of debt or higher cost of lending. And then also they're, you know, struggling with charge offs on the consumer side. Right. Yeah. It would be key to watch, especially if the labor market does soften yeah. up a touch yeah. uh, at the low end. Uh, Lisa, great to have you. Good long weekend. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Thanks guys. Alice. Take a look at futures here as uh, we are in the red. Uh, not expecting a whole lot of data points macro-wise today, but we'll watch volume on this options expiration Friday. Back in a moment. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Uh, check out shares of DoorDash today, getting a boost from its uh, revenue beat and some pretty upbeat guidance uh, as they do uh, uh, have guide pretty much in line for uh, full year uh, EBITDA, but uh, pretty much on all, across all metrics, orders, EBITDA, revenue, uh, it was a beat. Nice little buyback there as well, Mike, uh, $750 million. Yeah, which is an interesting piece of the story. I do think um, the... the uh, guidance on adjusted EBITDA, as they calculate it, was at least a relief. Uh, I'm not sure it was too far from the published consensus, but people thought uh, there was some encouraging signals there. Uh, another one of these stocks that, you know, a lot of excitement when they came public. They were perfectly situated, both in terms of investor excitement as well as uh, the part of the uh, consumer market they were in. And then it was like the big rethink. On a two-year basis, they uh, they crashed. Now, making new highs above where it traded last uh, last fall. And it's, it's more about we can try to see our way clear toward uh, a real bottom line profitability. So many of these companies, they still have the, the you know, kind of stock-based comp to chew through. It's a big portion of the of the market value. Still don't know um, long-term if if this model is pristine uh, in terms of what you have to pay people to deliver the stuff. But so far, uh, I think a decent uh, a decent message in this uh, in this market. So you can see it in Airbnb this week as well. Uh, all very similar uh, kind of you know the, the consumer apps that uh, that had such promise and uh, and now they're you know maybe turning it into a sustainable business model, but I still say if not, not for sure, because it just, they still have uh, a lot to prove that they can justify even where they're valued right now. Um, adjusted EBITDA is something we occasionally yeah. wander into, and then we kind of don't discuss it, but it is worth mentioning. Yes. 
Shopify uh, yesterday. You just mentioned stock-based compensation, such an important component, of course, because they take it out for adjusted EBITDA. Right. Um, I will say to DoorDash's credit, they have a part of the release here that talks about the value of their shares and goes into some detail about reported stock-based comp. And the expense can sometimes, they say, provide a good proxy for what it would cost to pay employees in cash, but it also can deviate from the estimated cash equivalent cost depending on the source of the accounting. Uh, they do say, though, explain why they do it exactly. and, 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 yeah. and the buybacks that they use to offset it. But it's important for investors to remember. We use adjusted EBITDA. They, we let them all use it. You're absolutely right. And, uh, and that is the, the single biggest line of adjustment is, is the stock base. I mean, DraftKings, right? Also up today. They're still projecting ahead half a billion a year of stock-based comps. If you look at the sell-side notes, what is it now? It's an 18 billion market cap, maybe? So it's just, it's, it's pretty significant, uh, 15 billion or so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do think you have to keep it in mind. You know, UBS, the strategists there, have actually, uh, I think, are alone in saying one of the bigger risks to earnings in general for this year is the lower quality of earnings. So if you look at the, uh, you know, not just adjustments to reported earnings, but also things like uh, accounting accruals and things you can look inside the books uh, and say, you know, are things getting better or worse? They're suggesting it's uh, there's a little bit of vulnerability there uh, because uh, companies are basically, you know, kind of exhausting their ability to show reported earnings for a little while. So I don't know that that's going to be the dominant narrative, but it's interesting to keep it. And but to your point, they issue the stock based comp, then they have the stock buyback to offset the dilution. And it's if like, they're lucky that, and have the, the cash flow to do it, exactly. some of them don't even. Right. You know? um, and, and again, I, I mentioned it to Harley Finkelstein yesterday because that was a big number for Shopify as well. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, we knew uh, Uber's Eats business, for example, uh, came in a bit strong. That's right. Uh, but uh, Dash continues to lag Uber on the one-year charts. Well, for sure. Yeah. Um, it does seem as if Uber has uh, has the ball. I mean, it's a more seasoned public company. It's trading even with the comeback at levels it traded at, like shortly after the IPO. So it, it's. It's not necessarily, to me, like Uber has all of a sudden been declared the winner. It's more just kind of a comeback on a longer term. Uh, a longer term yeah. frame. Although you put Lyft in there and some argue Uber is the well, self, in that, self-funding giant now. Without a doubt, yeah. No, that, I mean, the winner in that in that mode, yeah. It's just, again, it's about what is it? Is it just kind of a, a mobility utility that's kind of not all that profitable or is it really going to get escape velocity on the bottom line? That's a good point. Uh, we'll get the opening bell here in about five minutes. Uh, yields have come off the boil in terms of the session high, but the 10-year uh, still just south of 3.9. Back in a minute. Welcome back. This new piece in the journal this morning on Meta says that managers gave thousands of employees subpar ratings in their last round of performance reviews, possibly signaling some more job cuts ahead for the company. Really interesting look at uh, the HR process at Meta. Uh, there are five different ratings at the company. Uh, the second lowest is where you meet most expectations, and it's rare to get lower than that. But of yeah. the second worst rating, they're going to give about 10% of workers that. Right. Uh, the journal pointing out that uh, that level of underperforming ratings is not unprecedented pre-pandemic, but there has been such a staffing up and obviously maybe a change in mode and how people are evaluated that it seems like it's a lot of people in gross numbers and, uh, you know, obviously would set the scene for further cost cutting down the road, presumably if it if it uh, allows you uh, some justification for 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 more staff cuts. But um, it is uh, it is kind of interesting. It reminds me of what uh, David Solomon at Goldman said. You know, we kind of didn't do our normal cut 
the bottom performers uh, every year thing uh, around the pandemic, and now uh, people are getting a little more stringent about these right. things. Old school Mark is what some employees yeah. told me. you great on a curve, I guess, you know? Somebody's always on the, uh, on the wrong end of it. Let's get to the opening bell here in the CNBC real-time exchange of the big board. It's going to be Wells Fargo celebrating Black History Month. And at the NASDAQ, Essence Ventures, a black-owned private equity company, and the New Voices Foundation. Mike, we didn't get to talk to you in the block, but we do want to go over some technicals, especially this notion that even though it's not been the best week for the S&P, we have hung above the 200-day, which in a and a bull bear market transition is interesting. Yes, uh, we have held above it. For, the the 200 day right now is like 39.40. So you've been above it for long enough that it tends not to happen in the context of a, a completely doomed bear market rally. Uh, you know, you go back to, for example, the 2000 to 2003 experience. Yeah, there was a 20% rally in there. After 9-11, you got into 2002, uh, and then it failed from there. But you never spent this much time above the 200-day. So it's another one of these markers, along with a lot of the breadth of momentum readings we got in January, that's leading a lot of folks to say, look, the technical characteristics of this market are the kind you see when a low has been made and you're starting to lift off from there, it doesn't mean you barrel higher in a straight line, but it means maybe there's some, some insulation on the downside. Um, that's why coming into this week, the technicians, in my view, were the most high conviction bulls out there. The most high conviction bears to me are the, look, all the leading indicators of recession are in place. It's just a matter of time, five bonds. So what's fascinating is this week, has challenged both those views, right? Because you don't have a lot of momentum, you have some slippage in the indexes, maybe we're in pullback mode, so the technicals maybe have dimmed a little bit momentum-wise. On the other hand, <laughs> we're not talking recession, we're pushing out recession. It's all about how hot the economy is and how high inflation remains and what the Fed's gonna have to do for it. So that's kind of typical of the market where it's gonna challenge the clusters of conviction as much as possible. Right. And we mentioned uh, in the A block, uh, the, uh, the firms that are adding another hike. Yeah. Uh, to June, in the case of B of A and Goldman, to May in the case of UBS, but even so, you got Bullard saying, uh, I wouldn't discount 50 basis points yeah. again. Yeah, so you have that wing that's a little more hawkish, non-voting at the moment, saying we could do go in bigger steps. I think there's a lot of comfort, though, in that Powell does not want to slow down to 25 and immediately accelerate back to 50. You know, he was very uh, reluctant to say that if they paused rate hikes that they would want to resume them. He seems to want to have a more predictable glide path. So in December, we thought, okay, Fed will be pausing or done in four months. Right now, we're saying Fed will be pausing or done in four months, right? It's just that you keep pushing it ahead. There were some in December, some on the Fed, who thought you had to get toward five and a half on short rates, five and three-eighths or whatever. Uh, and so now that's where the consensus is, is moving toward. So is it moving slow enough that the market can, you know, can kind of make a piece with it? That's the question uh, I think we have right now. Uh, rates are much higher than uh, when, uh, you know, when stocks were at this level before. So that's the issue. David, I see you're reading intently. Thank you, yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, there are a handful of um, sort of contested situations out there. Remember, uh, we've got gold mining, a hostile. We also have the storage wars. And worth hitting that because we did get some news uh, overnight. Life Storage, remember Public Storage made this offer for Life Storage. It's a Maryland-based company, typically has, uh, I mention it because 
uh, or it's incorporated Maryland, I should say, uh, laws that are favorable if they want to use them in terms of being able to defend against a takeover, takeover offer. But Life Storage has uh, unanimously rejected that unsolicited proposal from Public Storage. It was uh, 0.4192 shares of Public Storage, if you remember. You can see Life Storage is not doing much of anything. It is trading below the implied value of that deal, uh, roughly. Um, they did uh, bow out of a conference in a week or two. Not a big deal there, necessarily. But there continues to be a question as to you know where this thing ends up. Uh, you knew going in, if you're public storage, that they obviously had a potential number of uh, uh, actions they could use defensively to sort of thwart you if you if you so if they chose to do so. I mean, they're I think they're advised by Wachtell. They know their way around all this stuff. But um, we'll see if they choose to come back uh, at uh, public storage. But life storage again. Uh, citing a number of different reasons, but the basic one is, listen, we think our operating strategy and execution have resulted in best-in-class performance in rapidly growing markets, uh, and they go on to simply say this undervalues the company. You can read the rest of it, guys, if you want. I know it's very exciting to read about storage. Um, <laughs> I do think Storage Wars is the intellectual property of the A&E network, though. So I'm so, not allowed to use it? I don't know. No, just we have to acknowledge. That's okay. All. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's the only fun about actually doing this, Mike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take that away from Although me. it actually has been a really uh, longer term, an amazingly uh, strong part of real estate. It has. Of uh, real estate. Almost to the point of cliche we, where people talk about storage entrepreneurs and as if it's, you know, automatic riches and things yeah. like that. But, um, yes. Uh, and we'll see. Again, we'll continue to follow this. One of a number of contested situations out there sort of surprising. Again, all stock, hostile or unsolicited yeah. bids for a Maryland company. You think maybe that's not going to work out. We'll see. Overall, uh, you know, moderate weakness here. Oil obviously is not having a good day. A lot of the uh, energy names uh, leading the S&P lower. Moderna down um, 5%, though, is going to get your attention. We'll take you back almost to November of last year, Mike, as this uh, flu vaccine data does disappoint. Yeah. Uh, yeah, st- stock's been hitting a series of uh, lower highs and lower lows pretty much uh, since Christmas time. Yeah, it's um, it, it's another one of those like, what's the next act, and is it really going to come through to fruition uh, as much as hoped? Uh, these, it, it's a really fascinating situation because all of a sudden it started to look super cheap because of the massive rush of profits from the COVID vaccines. And what are you going to do with that war chest? And we've seen things like this before in biotech, and not to say this is where it's going, but you remember Gil. Right. It looked cheap forever because they were sort of front loading a lot of earnings and the and market says that's great. What's next? Um, so we're there uh, with uh, with Moderna to some degree, even though everyone thinks the applicability of their technology is going to be vast. So uh, definitely the kind of thing where it's not quite the part of the market that the hot money is is racing toward right now. There actually been a pause in biotech in general after a good little comeback. Uh, but to me, it's all about like it's let's get back to the the buzzy dis- digital tech stuff uh, and cyclicals. Frankly, I mean, trucking stocks are working and they're you know uh, not not particularly dazzling, but that stuff is uh, is happening as well. Uh, we mentioned the consumer. Have you seen AutoNation this morning? Yeah, um, fascinating. Uh, I mean, the 637 crushes 582. Uh, revenue ahead. Um, new vehicles up eight. 
uh, after sales up seven, but the stock has just been, what a barn burner. It's if incredible. talking about uh, dealer pricing in this environment. It's amazing. And um, you wonder if it's a positive for the overall economy and markets, because it really is about car prices to, to a, f- a fair degree. But yeah, this is not a part of the economy that is, is faltering just yet. Um, you know, it trades at seven, eight times earnings. So it's one of those things where it's always looking super cheap when people are worried about where we are in the cycle. And uh, it just continues to work. I was looking, too. The, the street is is kind of lukewarm on it. You know, I mean, I think the consensus price target is under 150. We've, we've hurdled that today. Uh, so it shows you that, um, you know, we've kind of pulled forward a lot of the worry about when the consumer is going to falter. And the auto cycle has been so off kilter uh, this, this entire time. So, uh, you know, you, you can't keep cars on, on, on the lots, but we're worried about the consumers. Uh, and we're worried about auto delinquencies from loans made a few years ago. <laughs> so it's, it's a bit of a funny, funny moment. It really is. Oh, yeah. Look at that move. All these stocks. I mean, yeah. so unexpected. To us. Just amazing. You know, yeah, I was looking at another chart like that. Yesterday was Hyatt, you know, after their numbers. Um, so, again, it's like cars, travel is, is white hot. Um, and the stocks are starting to reflect some of that. And then... Well, Hyatt, the- Hyatt's right. point yesterday was that they've really, early on, yeah. decided to pin their fortunes to the high end. Absolutely. The park, I mean, you stayed at Park Hyatt, and it's Absolutely. one of the nicest hotels yeah. you can stay at, but that's where certainly the leisure. It's a quality over quantity approach. It has been for a long time. They were in only some markets and usually want to have more of a destination hotel as opposed to just franchising it out all over the place. Uh, and it's worked. I mean, I remember they came public in like late 09. Uh, really unheralded in, in, in a lot of ways, and uh, I remember they passed okay. out. Remember that IPO day, David? They they passed out fluffy white robes. Oh, there you, I, go. I, you know what? I don't actually. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> fluffy white robes. Slippers. He's got the same yeah. CEO, although during the Mark entire period. Yeah, he's yeah, still he's still absolutely. Yeah, it's been a long time he's been there. Yeah, um, guys, I did want to uh, sort of look ahead to next week. Of course, hope everybody enjoys the long weekend. But you know, we've been talking a lot about Salesforce for quite some time here. Of course, so many activists. And perhaps not as much time. Uh, the nominating window is open. Uh, I want to look ahead to next week because, you know, at least based on a, a number of conversations uh, that I've had over the course of this week, it seems we could get a settlement next week on, on uh, Salesforce. Unclear exactly what that's going to be. And again, I don't want to say it too strongly because these things can go by the wayside. Uh, but certainly it would appear Elliott and uh, Salesforce have been engaged in serious conversations about coming to some sort of a resolution that would avoid a proxy fight uh, by Elliott seeking to seat a number of directors perhaps on a board that already is undergoing some change. Um, what would a settlement look like? What would it involve is obviously a key question for Salesforce shareholders. Um, you know, would they accelerate margin targets to some extent? Uh, would they commit perhaps to saying, hey, we're not going to do any more M&A? Remember, there's been a lot of criticism about the large M&A that they do uh, and whether they really are, are getting value out of it. Also, potentially raising the buyback. Now, they did announce, you know, they have a $10 billion buyback in place, but they've got what, about $11 billion in cash and marketable securities on the balance sheet right now? And so there is a thought. If they wanted to. They could significantly increase the buyback. Will you get succession planning? Will you get some sort of a road here that says Mark Benioff, obviously the much-loved um, uh, founder uh, and CEO right now, will he sort of agree to some sort of a plan under which a new CEO would take over? And then are there going to be seats at play. All the questions you might ask, of course, uh, involving a potential settlement there, but wanted to get on the record in case we get one, let's call it, on the earlier part of next week. Timing on these things difficult, but it does seem that they are moving towards that rather than 
an all-out proxy fight, which interestingly, my read a few weeks ago was sort of, that seemed in some ways perhaps a more likely outcome here. And is, is that largely because the company seems more amenable to whatever would have been achieved through a proxy fight? I, I think they just don't want to fight. I think Benioff, he's a lover, he's not a fighter. No. I was, that was Jim's point yeah. a couple few weeks ago. Yeah, right? it has been. That there would be some meeting of minds yeah. uh, at CRM. And again, we'll see. Uh, but I certainly am hearing it enough that I thought it was worth sharing um, at this point. And we'll, we'll stay tuned next week. It's been an unusual situation, to say the least, with this many activists. Obviously, remember, they've already got one coming on the board in Mason Morford from Value Act. Starboard has been there for some time. Jeff Oven, Inclusive Capital, has been there. In fact, he was there earlier than Value Act, his old firm. Uh, and Elliot, and then Dan Loeb uh, also. So, I mean, rare that you see these kinds of names. By the way, on activism overall, guys, um, the names that are out there we know, uh, but I'm hearing there's a lot of activity that is yet to come to the surface, but it does seem as though there are advisors, certainly on the defensive side, that are quite busy right now preparing, or at least even preparing for the possibility of activists. Uh, it does seem as though, while M&A has been relatively quiet, Activism is pretty act, uh, pretty, pretty active. active. Yeah. That's a good one. I started and saying just, I didn't want to say it. Then. Can't beat you guys when it comes to <laughs> no. play on words. Pretty good, yeah. huh? Um, yeah. I, I really let's do AMC really quick because 17 uh, percent move here is going to be the first peak above the 200-day since May. Uh, revenue does uh, come ahead, and 11.8 uh, million streaming subs in the quarter. Been a lot of. Uh, Discussion about uh, Dolan and um, yeah, and we're, that's a different that's AMC. The that's the wrong nope, AMC. AMC that's the movie theater uh, chain we're talking about there, which is up 2.3 percent. But we're talking about AMCX, of course, which has been struggling to figure out a real strategy after, of course, that string of hits for so many years: The Walking Dead and, and Mad Men. Somebody in Mad Men. Uh, but you know, what do you do? And and I'm and uh, uh, controlled by Dolan. So put his wife in there. I shouldn't say it like that. Um, she's a very talented executive, actually, who's had a lot of senior jobs. She's now running the company, yeah. so yeah. I don't mean to imply somehow that she's not qualified. Um, and you can see the stocks react. But an awkward size. I mean, it's a billion-dollar market cap yeah, it's now. Tiny. It's, it's tiny. subscale in every way. You just wonder outside of the the basic cable, uh, you know, economics, which sustained them for so long. And, you know, what are they? I, I mean, I think they may actually have an AMC Plus app. I, I mean, they do. Uh, average, they, yeah, I mean, what is it, eight bucks and nine months? I know, it's like all, know, it's, it's a big percentage of what everybody else charges, and it's a narrower it's, offer. It's a very tough road, as yeah. you say. Uh, how do you navigate a world in which you simply have fewer linear cable viewers, period? It's just, they're just not, they're, every, every year, they're going down by I, a lot. I don't know if you saw uh, Bernstein's note about um, Paramount that's saying, um, Listening to the Paramount call yesterday, my main conclusion was buy Netflix. <laughs> yeah. You know, just because, um, you know, it just felt like that was everyone's looking up at them and how much they've I done. I made that point yesterday. Yeah, exactly. I mean, everybody's trying to engineer their own strategy to sort of figure out how they can cut costs but and or get to a place where Netflix is, which is one of significant profitability at this yeah. point. None of the other streamers, obviously, are close to that. Two other points on media. One is a double upgrade for Roku uh, over at B of A. They go to buy, they take their target from 45 up to 85. Uh, Roku, of course, uh, this week, first trip above the 200-day in um, more than a year. Um, and then this Disney memo, uh, David, that the Washington Post gets a hold of, yeah. uh, an employee petitioned to fight back against Iger's mandate for four days in office, saying that it could have unintended consequences for the long-term health of the company. 
Yeah, you know, I, I, 41 minutes live with him last Thursday, and we didn't get to a few things, including the back-to-work memo that you're referencing. And I had been hearing about some pushback uh, that Disney has been getting. By the way, any number of other companies, even for three days, are getting some pushback. But four days a week was somewhat aggressive. He feels very strongly that for a creative company, you need to have people together. There's sort of that magic that comes from people being with in the same area uh, and... Um, He's going to stick to it. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but it may result in, listen, they're laying off 7,000 people. So you don't want to come to work. Maybe that makes you an easy layoff target. Hmm. Yeah. Remarkable. We were just talking this morning about when does leverage return to the employer? I mean, in this market, I guess with unemployment at three and a half. It's yeah, I think yet. that might be the yeah. uh, the lesson of people reevaluating how much I want it. Yeah, it's, it, it, is, uh, it is an interesting but this, this, fix right now. I mean, we've talked about this for two years now. The question, obviously, the world has changed. We know hybrid is here to stay. But there is, uh, this continues to be taking up a lot of uh, psychic energy for leaders of organizations yeah. in terms of getting people back because usually they do want them back. Not everybody. Uh, and fighting because many just do not want to come back more than, let's call it, two days a week. And, you know, economy-wide, when this debate was really heated, people said, look, if you're in a service industry, you have to show up every day no matter what the risks are, no matter what you want to do. Within Disney, you have theme parks where a thousands of people that for their job show up every day. And so, you know, it's a tricky thing if you're not wanting to go in the office a fourth day uh, you know, to, to Burbank or wherever. Actually, there's some reports this morning about uh, the Tron light cycle ride at Disney World. <laughs> Finally getting there, oh, uh, yeah. doing some test runs. So if you're going to Florida, yeah. you might want to stop by. Really quick, you mentioned uh, next week, David, and we're going to get uh, Walmart and Home Depot and NVIDIA and Toll yeah. and Baba. I just wonder, some argue that the Walmart-Home Depot combo will be the most important data point until we get more important macro. It's an interesting one, and there's a lot of uh, give and take over. You know, Walmart is underperformed. It's always the defensive uh, name. It's much more about, you know, consumables and all the rest of it. Uh, and so if there's a bit of a catch-up move, uh, Target hasn't really had that great of a run, but I, I know that it's outperformed uh, recently. So those two for sure. And then NVIDIA, I mean, it's, it's back to almost to, you know, the real go-go days in terms of how the stock has performed and the whole atmospherics around it, how it's like now uh, an AI play and all you have to worry about is the long-term, you know, momentum there. So uh, that'll be uh, a key one, I do think, although NVIDIA has given back uh, some from midweek, so we'll see if it's cooled off. As we go to break, uh, watch bonds today. Ten-year got to 3929, I think, was the highest uh, tick that I saw. It would be the highest since November. Um, meanwhile, most sectors that are green are going to show you a defensive stance. Utilities, healthcare, and staples are the only sectors in the green at the moment. Be right back. Take a look at DraftKings up 15% this morning, a beat on revenue and monthly uniques, uh, narrower than expected EBITDA loss, and they do guide above on full year EBITDA and revenue, <laughs> awfully close to a 52-week high, not quite there, uh, but as you can see, almost a 15% gain with the tape not that great. Dow's down 140. Don't go away. Well, we talked a great deal, of course, about Tesla's big rally to start the year, up about 63%. The stock is amongst the best performers on both the S&P 500, the NASDAQ 100. Don't forget Lucid also. You can see that stock's moved up nicely, in part, though, because of vague takeout rumors. Saudis, it was a while back. It's sold off a bit since then. Phil Lebeau joins us now to discuss the intensifying battle, though, when it comes overall to electric vehicles. Good morning, Phil. 
Morning, David. And when you look at the EV stocks, keep in mind, they were among the most beaten down last year. So the rebound that we've seen year to date, to a certain extent, uh, that was expected. Uh, they were just sold off as, as much as they were. In terms of sales, this is still Tesla's market. Tesla leads the market with two out of every three being sold in this country. It is also worldwide number one, just ahead of BYD, the China market, and Charlie Munger's comments earlier this week uh, getting a lot of attention. That's the main focus uh, in terms of global sales because it is the largest EV market in the world. But Europe is also intensifying, and Tesla, because of its production in Germany, is certainly increasing sales there. Uh, we will be hearing from Rivian and Lucid in the next couple of weeks about their Q4 results. More importantly, it's going to be what they say about their production targets for 2023. I think a lot of people are looking at those two and saying, okay, if there's going to be an independent startup that is going to be able to survive, let's see what they can do this year and next year, especially as General Motors rolls out a lot more EVs. Ford increasing its production, and then obviously Tesla being Tesla. That is going to be the focus over the next couple of weeks, guys. Yeah, uh, not to mention next couple of years, of course, given all the ambitious targets. Uh, specific to Tesla, Phil, you know, we had that recall of the self-driving yep. feature. I guess it's over the air, but what do we know about it? How quickly does that get done? Over the next couple of weeks, they'll do an over-the-air software update. Um, Tesla disagrees with the findings from NHTSA, but you know how this works, David. If NHTSA says, we think there should be a recall here, your choices are you either agree to do the recall if you're an automaker, or you say, no, we disagree, take us to court. And almost always, NHTSA will win in court. So Tesla decided, okay, we'll issue a voluntary recall. Uh, the, the allegation from NHTSA is that there, in rare instances, are cases where the full self-driving beta technology, which is not fully autonomous, that's just what they call it, um, it doesn't work as it should in certain intersections. Maybe it goes through a stop sign, uh, right. it, turn, it goes straight and turning right. Um, th that is expected to be fixed with the software uh, update done over the air. So you don't have to bring it in to uh, a Tesla yeah. uh, repair uh, shop. Got it. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau. You bet. Coming up in the next hour, Ohio considering suing Norfolk Southern over that massive train derailment. The state's attorney general is going to join us in a few. As for the markets, uh, session lows early on here. Dow down 170 and back to 4050 on the S&P. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 